Everybody, welcome to another episode of That's So Quetch, where we talk about Torah, dating, and everything in between. I'm so excited to be speaking into my brand new microphone. I hope you guys can notice that the sound quality is a little better. And you know, I just felt like it was time to invest in this hobby because we're on episode 12. Can you believe it? Like, that's huge. Anyways, I'm really excited about today's episode because it's something that I wanted to talk about for a while and have thought about and haven't found the right way to just like bring it up. But really, sometimes the difficult things to talk about are just you just have to start. There's really no easy way to start talking about it. So today we'll be talking about Shomer Nagia and also what comes along with that and kind of like feeling religious guilt because I think that Shomer Nagia is a hard mitzvah and not everyone has an easy time following it and that can lead to a lot of pain. So, you know, not your lightest episode, but hopefully if you join me for the ride, there will be some fun parts along the way. I've got some stories from the Gemara that are outlandish as always and inspiring and I just hope you guys stick stick along with me, you know? So... The reason why I'm talking about Shomer Nagia is because it's a taboo topic, which are my favorite types of topics. I think that it's hard to keep, as we know. Um, people kind of sweep it under the rug, I think, because it's like, oh, yeah, you definitely like are or aren't. And like, that's it. I just think it's something that isn't really talked about, but people are struggling with it. And I think that if you're human and you are an affectionate person, deciding to be Shomer Nagia is going to be a tough decision for you. Um, so I think it's safe to say that every person struggles with Shomer Nagia and let me know if you disagree, but I just have found that to be the truth in my experiences and my friends' experiences. So I just wanted to give some context on like my situation with Shomer Nagia. In Houston, Texas, it really wasn't so much of a thing to be Shomer Nagia. I feel like it just, like I didn't, I went to a co-ed school. There was no such thing as like even, I mean, there were kids in my school who were Shomanigia, maybe like two or three. Honestly, I can count them on my finger, but generally it just wasn't a thing. So like you had people who were hooking up or people who were like, just not really, there was like a funny thing where people would say like, I don't kiss people, but like I high five people. So that was like also a thing. Um, but there you go. Anyways, I had a relationship in high school and I feel like I was just influenced by like Pinterest and like the media of what like high school relationships were supposed to be like. So I didn't really think like I didn't make a conscious decision of like I'm going to be Shomer Nagia in this relationship because honestly, I just don't think I was either mature enough to make that decision or truthfully, like I didn't want to do that. But it was like less in my mind. I think now that I've like lived in New York for a few years and like have seen what the social stratus looks like I'm more compelled to keep Shom Nagia and also not to mention like all my friends you know coming back from Israel and just like it seems like after high school like that was you know the last hurrah and then everything got like really serious in college like people were studying really hard and like you know everyone was talk 
I just felt like, I mean, I went to Stern, so, you know, people were definitely, like, on the more religious side, so they were definitely, it was, like, a thing. I don't know how else to put it. Like, I felt the pressure to be Shomer Nagia, um, and I still feel the pressure to do that, and so there's that. But anyways, by the time I started caring again, it was kind of, like, hard to go back um, because I, because I, like, didn't re- know that I could go back, but now I think, like, it's a very fluid mitzvah. I think that you can, you can take it back. Like you can't, you, you, you're allowed to go back and decide you want to become Shomanagia again. Um, and so in general, I hope that that's something that will exist in my next relationship. But obviously it's also like personally for me, like a topic of discussion, just because I'm a very like open-minded person and I'm not someone who like goes into dating with a lot of check boxes. So Though there are some things that are very important for me in terms of finding the person that I want to spend the rest of my life with, Shormanagia is one of those things that would definitely depend kind of the type of person I end up with, and I am comfortable with that decision. That being said, I have not always been comfortable with that decision, so which is why we're here talking about it and delving into this topic. I think that Shormanagia is a very beautiful mitzvah because... If you, if any of you guys are listening and don't know what it is, it's the idea that you don't touch your spouse before you get married. You don't touch like the opposite sex basically before you get married. And I think that it makes the relationship more about the emotional connection. That's really the idea behind it. Um, And it just like I've seen how in my own relationships and in general, how touch really like can create a false sense of intimacy in a relationship and can like really move things along when they shouldn't be and like when you eliminate that physical element you're able to have a deeper emotional connection with someone and I think that there have been times where like I have been and I feel like I've appreciated those times because sometimes bringing that intimacy really isn't healthy for the relationship at that time. So I wanted to go back to the source of where Shomanagia comes from to give us even a little bit more context and to better understand kind of how it, everything goes down. So the Torah starts off the list of prohibited relations with the language Lotikrivu Legalot Erva from Leviticus 18.6, which translates to do not come close to uncover shame. Now, this concept of erva is used to describe impurity and is also the origin for the mitzvot of covering a woman's hair, uh, koisha, not listening to a woman's voice, and sniyu, covering, dressing modestly. And all of these things are erva, and I'm not going to go into more detail on this episode about why that is and the different sources of where that comes from, but just know that this concept of erva is really what's driving all of these prohibitions. So in the context of Shomergia, erva is impurity. So anyone who hasn't been in the mikvah is tame, impure, and you're not allowed to have relations with anyone who's tame. So all women before they're married, and I'll give like a little bit of a disclaimer for this because anyways, all women before they're married are tame, but you know, there's different things these days where like women are immersing um there's immersed nyc where the rules are kind of being bent more and women are immersing before they're married and it's seen as like okay so there's more progressive ways to view this but the point is is that before you're married you're tame everyone who is before they're married is tame they're not supposed to have relations fine so actual relations are out 
And so what about all the other activities? And so the Sifra, a Talmudic era work on Leviticus, says in quotes, don't do stuff that gets you close to uncovering shame. And this is where like touching comes, i.e. don't engage in behavior that would lead to relations. Literally, this teaches that not only is uncovering prohibited, but even coming close to that. So just to um, kind of like scale uh, review. Torah says that you're not allowed to have relations, but it's really the rabbis that start to institute all this stuff about touching. Now, the Rambam reads this as a biblical prohibition. It's don't do commandment number 353. But the Ramban, in his commentary on Rambam's mitzvah list, disagrees, and he feels it's a rabbinic prohibition, and the Sifra was offering a creative reading to help justify the rabbinic prohibition. So as Ram, both Rambam and the Shulchan Orach codify Rambam's opinion, that generally appears to be the accepted one, that it's a biblical prohibition. So Rambam's opinion goes like this. I'm not going to read the Hebrew because, you know, why? Unless you guys want to. You can message me if you want me to read the Hebrew. I could. Um, one who has relations with a prohibited person but does so via body parts, in parentheses, i.e. not the types of penetration described in Leviticus, or who hugged and kissed in a lustful manner and got pleasure from the flesh contact. Sorry, this is very convoluted. Such a person could be whipped by biblical law. Damn. Okay. Sorry. Got like flustered thinking about that as it says not to do any of these gross actions and don't come close to revealing nakedness i don't approach a person for actions that would bring to revealing nakedness now the rabbeinu yona however reads the sifra as prohibiting all touching not merely the dangerous sort many follow this opinion many try to avoid slippery slopes and there is much discussion as to what exactly what sort of touching is considered problematic so to sum it up, PG-13 touching between boyfriend and girlfriend prohibited either biblically or rabbinically or business handshake between two business professionals who don't know each other from anything and won't see each other again. That's prohibited by the Rabbeinu Yona, but permitted according to the way most read the Rambam. And then there are many, many shades of gray in between those two extremes of which I'm going to discuss. So... I think it's good to learn the sources and thank God, like I actually had a whole class on this when I went to Pardes last summer and it's a whole class on women's halacha and I feel like after learning the sources, even if you're not comfortable with something that you've learned, at least you know the source for it and I think it just like makes you understand your religion better and where everything comes from and I just find a lot of gratification in knowing where things are coming from and I also had a lot of hard time because like there are things that, you know, rabbis say in the Gemara um, and in other places that are just like either really sexist or just like not something that kind of sits well with you and you just kind of have to like accept this. There was a moment when I was in the class, sorry for this tangent, where I was like, wow, like I really don't like what I'm learning and I don't know why I'm part of this religion. I just like had an identity moment where I was like, wow, I'm keeping all this stuff and like all these rabbis are saying all this stuff and how am I supposed to enjoy the religion that I do when the rabbis don't say things that I like at all and I'm feeling like so distant and alienated from these rabbis but I want to like everything they're saying I want to believe that it's true um so that's really hard sometimes and so when it comes to Shomenagia obviously I really respect it everyone who does it good for you. It's great. I think it's a good mitzvah. I think everyone can see that I feel that way, but also I think that it's really hard and that people slip 
Um, and that doesn't mean that they shouldn't keep trying. But I think that we look all around us and we see people who consider themselves Shomanagia and like they've been in relationships and you know that they've slipped or that things haven't gotten gone smoothly. And then I think about like how like micro each person after this is feeling guilty. Like if it's something that they want to keep, they're feeling really guilty afterwards. Um, but then I start to think I'm like an empathetic person. So I start to think about all these people who are just sitting around feeling guilty and like this giant web of guilt. And essentially it just, it's like a guessing game of like, oh, are they really Shomernagia? And like, it becomes this gossip of like, oh yeah, but you know, they're not actually Shomernagia. And like, it just, it's so much judgment and like, it's so much of people trying to appear perfect, etc. But you know, it's very hard to keep. And I think that in when you're in like a religious world, everyone is very acutely aware of what you should be keeping and what you shouldn't be keeping. And because some people struggle with it, and I would argue most people struggle with it, everyone is simultaneously feeling guilty and also judging other people because it's something that is so like valued, but so difficult. Um, and to be honest, there are times, the reason I'm also really talking about this is because sometimes I feel like if I came out and said straight out like I'm not Shomanagia I have no intention to be Shomanagia then like I would really decrease my dating pool and that's just like a reality and sometimes I don't really want to face that reality and I think that every girl who is religious struggles with being religious enough and okay let me scratch that I don't necessarily think every girl feels that way but I think that there is the feeling of like I need to be a certain way so like I can deserve the person that I want to be with and if you're not that way then like you don't deserve that person and it's really not a fun way to feel so I'm here to bring up another anyways segue from the darkness and talk about this crazy story that my friend brought up that's perfect for this episode from Menachot 44a and I'll just get into this story and then I'll talk about what I think of it. So the story goes like this. It is taught in a Brita that Rabbi Natan says there is no mitzvah, however minor, that is written in the Torah for which there is no reward given in this world and in the world to come. And I do not know how much reward is given. Go and learn from the following incident concerning the mitzvah of ritual fringes. So there was an incident involving a certain man who was diligent about the mitzvah of ritual fringes. This man heard that there was a prostitute in one of the cities overseas who took 400 gold coins as her payment. He sent her 400 gold coins and found a time to meet with her. When his time came, he came and sat at the entrance of her house. The maidservant of that prostitute entered and said to her, that man who sent you 400 golden coins and came and sat at the entrance. She said, let him enter. He entered. She arranged seven beds for him, six of silver and one of gold. Between each and every one of them was a ladder made of gold, and the top bed was the one that made of gold. Anyways, scratch the gold and silver. It's not really so important. Anyways, it's about to get a little graphic here, so bear with me. I'm just reading the translation. She went up and sat naked on the top bed, and he too went up in order to sit naked facing her. In the meantime, his four ritual fringes came and slapped him on his face. He dropped down and sat himself on the ground, and she also dropped and sat on the ground. She said to him, I take an oath by the Gapa of Rome that I will not allow you to go until you tell me what defect you saw on me. Okay, so let's pause. Guy, 
goes to hook up with a prostitute while they're about to hook up suddenly his sits it slap him in the face and he drops down to the ground and she's he's like i can't do this so he says to her when she asks well you have to tell me why you can't do this because i'm here and you paid and here we go he says to her i took an oath by the temple service that i never saw a woman as beautiful as you but there is one mitzvah that the lord our god commanded us and its name is ritual fringes and then the passage that where it is commanded it is written twice i am the lord your god the doubling of this phrase indicates i'm the one who will punish those who transgress my mitzvot and i'm the one who will reward those who fulfill them now said the man the four sets of ritual fringes appeared to me as if they were four witnesses who will testify against me okay so this guy is clearly feeling very guilty his tits have slapped him in the face and he just can't help but feel like it has to stop i'm imagining him sitting there like looking out desperately and telling her like all the transgressions and the reasoning and she's just sitting there like twiddling her hair like I don't really care what you have to say and then just to wrap up the story she says to him I will not allow you to go until you tell me what's your name the name of your city your teacher the study hall in which you study Torah and he writes down the information and gives it to her she arises, divides all of the property, and she gives one-third as a bribe to the government, one-third to the poor, and she takes one-third in her possession, in addition to those beds of gold and silver. And she came to the study hall of Rabbi Hia, where the guy learned, and said, My teacher, instruct your students concerning me and have them make a convert. Rabbi Hia said to her, My daughter, perhaps you set your sights on one of the students, and that is why you want to convert. She took the note the student had given her from her hand and gave it to Rabbi Hia. She, he said to her, go take possession of your purchase. So she goes back to where the guy learns and she's like, make me a convert. And he's like, mm, I don't really trust you. And she shows him the note of this guy and he just tells her, go take possession of your purchase. I guess he was like so dumbfounded by this note. So those beds that she had arranged for him in a prohibited fashion, she now arranged for him in a permitted fashion. The Gemara completes its point about the reward of mitzvot and points out how this story illustrates the concept. This is a reward given to him in this world and with regard to the world to come, I do not know much how reward he will be given. So I don't fully, to be honest, understand the ending. It sounds like he did something good in confessing his sexual guilt. And what really strikes me as most interesting about this story is how the guy like really stopped, even though he was so close to finishing the deal it just goes to show how all-consuming this guilt can be when you cross a certain line. And I don't need to dive into my own experiences to say that I've dealt with this feeling before. Obviously, I don't wear tzitzit and they haven't slapped me in the face. But throughout my college years and young adult life, I have felt guilty like over and over again because I feel that pressure all the time. And it just sucks to feel guilty like even I mean putting aside anything religious even the secular world shames any sort of hooking up because the double standard as you know favors men so girls are always left feeling guilty um, guys are allowed to hook up with as many girls as they want and girls aren't really allowed to do anything or at least like depending on your circles and your context it's definitely the idea that women are supposed to be kept pure to an extent and that's not even the religious world now put on the sandwich of like you're trying to be a religious nice jewish girl it's like even more difficult so bottom line is feeling guilty sucks and 
I don't think that having this podcast isn't going, it's not going to change you. If you ever feel guilty, it's not going to change me either. But at least by talking about it, you will know that you are not alone in this feeling. And I think that sometimes we worry so much about doing the right thing that we forget that we were not the first to make mistakes. And reading stories like these remind me that we weren't the first to sin and that You know, these types of issues have been discussed in all sorts of ways, especially in the Gemara. And I actually have like another story that kind of recently I was kind of catching up on Dafyomi. The people that I sort of surround myself by like are like it's I don't want to I don't know how I'm going to sound saying this, but it's like trendy to be learning Dafyomi and I want to be learning it. Um, I feel like I'm coming off like. I'm just a wannabe in this episode, but I'm just bringing my full self to you guys. So take it or leave it. This is the real me. So whatever. I've been wanting to catch up on the Daf Yomi. A lot of people who I surround myself by have been learning it. And so one day I was like reading on all these different things and I got sidetracked by Brachot 24 because a lot of the topics were really out there. So a lot of the questions that were being talked about on Brachot 24 were about bodily functions. Like, can you learn Torah after losing seed? And, you know, that was actually Brachot 22. Can you fart with tefillin on Brachot 23? And then how long before pooping must you remove tefillin? When can you put them back on? And these are all topics that are just like discussed out there. And I, you know, I'm never, it never ceases to shock me. So the conversation continues in Brachot 24 and Rav Yosef, and this, this is going to seem like out there, um, like not related to what we're talking about, but the lesson that I came from it, I feel like is related. So two people were sleeping in a single bed. They are both naked. Safaria says that was standard. <laughs> uh, one wants to say Shema. Can he? Is he allowed to or not? Because he's naked. That's the question. And does the blanket covering him count? And Rav Shmuel says, yes, it is permitted even if his wife is in bed with him. Anybody is okay, regardless if they are married. Now, Rav Yosef says back to him that he kind of makes this distinction where he says the wife isn't an issue because of the phrase ishto ki gufo, the wife is like him, they are the same. So, but with someone else that isn't his wife, it's prohibited and he wouldn't be able to say Shema. And... So some of the next topics are discussed are what if a child is still in the bed and this is like weird, like how old does it, how old does a child need to be to constitute to be something that's inappropriate? And then there's like, you know, Rav Hizda says a girl three years old, a boy nine years old, and some say a girl 11 years old, boy 12 years old. Bottom line is, you know, they go into like how young is too young that it's inappropriate to be like naked in your bed. Like say if you're like a really young kid and your kid's like naked in your bed with you, it's okay basically. So kind of weird, but also like go with it. It's fine. Like I don't think that it was meant to be anything, you know, disgusting or like um, inappropriate, but nevertheless, this is the conversation that ensued in these Dafim. And I just really sometimes imagine the Gemara like this bro club where they're all like hanging out in the basement of a house, like drinking beers and like, you know, Rob Papa is like, but what if one it's like pubic hair sticks through the garment? And then another one's like, a hair is a hair. You're being pedantic over trivialities. And I'm literally reading translation like it just sounds like they're in a bros club, just having like broy conversations. I'm like, if they only knew that a girl, you know, was sitting in her 
basic white girl bedroom in 2020 reading this, they would be like so embarrassed. Like I'm sure they would rephrase the way they were talking about these things. Um, So really I bring in these stories to derive the idea that there's essentially is a discussion between the juxtaposition between physicality and holiness and purity. And I find that, you know, I don't know if it's like obvious, but they're talking about doing holy things in the context of like being naked. So like being physically impure while trying to do like a holy act. And so it makes me think about how like in my life, I'm trying to be this like holy person, but sometimes my physical actions don't completely reflect the the holy person that I want to be. And I feel like sometimes they don't coexist or like ideally they really shouldn't. And you really should be like this completely devout person who is following things. And like, really, that's the ideal way to be. If you're not that, then like there's just really something wrong with you. But the fact is that they do, and you see that these conversations are being held. Um, The values we hold are special, but sometimes when I don't follow them, like, I know they can lead to guilt. So sometimes when I feel like I don't have all my morals in check, I feel like I'm, like, not even worthy of having this holiness in my life. But the two are not mutually exclusive. I think that we believe that God is, like, sitting on his stool judging our every action, but I think that... God judges your intention just as much as he judges your religious journey and he also judges your impetus to learn and your willingness to understand the mitzvot and the kavana behind all of your actions. So that is kind of how like I make myself feel better about this and honest to Hashem, I really feel like he just doesn't judge every minute thing. I think at the end of the day, we are our own harshest critics. And like if a friend was telling you something, you would never be like, oh, like, how could you? But if it's you doing it, like you sit, your inner person says to yourself, like, that's disgusting. How did you do that? Um, And I just think we should really take notes from the Gemara. It's really not black and white, clearly, because a lot of times all these discussions end up with like a couple opinions and then there's no ending opinion that says this is it. Like there's so many different ways to go about it. And they say the more, you know, the more you can loophole around. And I just think that just like the Gemara isn't black and white and just like the discourse of Judaism isn't black and white. So too our personal discourse of ourselves shouldn't be black and white and there's really no end of story kind of idea when you're relating to your own life in an ideal world it would be incredibly easy to keep shromnagia and all the laws but we don't live in an ideal world and i think that god gives us struggles so that we can grow and learn about ourselves and i would venture to say that if we were not to struggle perhaps we would remain stagnant in certain ways and never see how strong we could be and how much we could push ourselves and find discover new things about ourselves i think that when something is difficult and you overcome it you increase your own value and your own perception perception of yourself so i think that i speak so that you forgive yourself and then forgive yourself again and i'm serious like really stop judging yourself i feel like i'm giving like myself a pep talk but also hoping that there's someone out there who also needs this and feels related stop judging yourself you know, this is what being human is about. We don't have all the answers. Like we chose this religion and sometimes our human side gets the best of us. But as long as we're striving to be good people, we're doing good. 
And I think that a big part of being Jewish is asking yourself these tough questions and fighting them out. And that's why we do it. And the reason why I feel that it's worth it to keep try and keep trying for these difficult mitzvot is because of all the beautiful things that this religion has to offer. Like when we bench, you know, we bench all the same prayer and when we have Shabbat meals together, we all are eating together and enjoying the same mitzvah. Just recently, like singing the wedding songs and having that connection with all other people to sing these songs and dance with the bride and the groom and feel that elated feeling of joy for them. It comes from our tradition, even like all the holidays and lighting candles before bed and then just looking at them and remembering all the miracles and dancing with the Israeli flag in Times Square, if any of you have ever done that. And like these are the traditions that ultimately make it all worth it. And if there's anything that you take away from this episode, it's that you shouldn't be so harsh on yourself. And we may we all learn to be less harsh on ourselves and accept that we are not perfect and that none of the tzaddikim were perfect and that you can still be a virtuous individual and not have always acted virtuously and even your non-virtuous actions should be subject to discussion and that's my spiel for the day i um, I hope you guys all have a great weekend. I hope that for those of you who this episode really spoke to you, that you enjoyed it and you learned something and you maybe even laughed along the way. And I wish you all a wonderful Shabbos and a great rest of your weekend. Bye.